there's a tension right at the heart of friendship where on the one hand you are connecting with people who have similar interests because that's just natural that you're going to gravitate to people who are in similar life situations and you have similar things to talk about um, but there's also a danger in connecting with people who have purely the same interest as you mm-hmm. One with many friends may be harmed, but there is a friend who stays closer than a brother. These words from Proverbs 18 emphasize the importance of friendship. And though sometimes people think that this refers to Jesus or, you know, someone like that, I think it's just making the point that if you have a lot of shallow friendships, there's really not the flourishing and vitality that comes from a deep, close friend who sticks even closer than a brother, a relationship that goes beyond blood and DNA. So today, we're going to talk about this theme of friendship, and I'm joined in the studio by my friend Shane Saxon. Shane has been on our podcast before talking about genre. That was a little bit more of a theological conversation. This one is theological, but perhaps a little bit more practical. Shane is the director of Trademark Schools and Wholesale Distribution at Memoria Press and the host of the Classical Etc. podcast uh, for Memoria Press. Shane, thank you for being in the studio today. Good to be here. Now, your qualifications that I just read have nothing to do with our conversation, and neither do mine. Um, We're just people who've been friends for a long time and care about friendship. So I thought it would be great for us to talk about that since you're in town. Yeah, I'm excited to do it. So, Shane, have you read that verse before? And how have you heard people talk about Proverbs 18.24? Yeah, I've definitely heard it talked about before. I think that we immediately go to the Christological reading you know, reading that verse in light of who the kind of friend that Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that at all. I do think that Jesus shows us who the the consummate picture of friendship is. But I, I think it's helpful when reading the Proverbs to think about them in terms of the original context and what kind of wisdom they are trying to communicate. Because when you look at all the Proverbs in, in some, you add them up, it starts to give you a picture of what a, a wise life could look like. And at mm-hmm. least one aspect of the wise life is trying to cultivate deep friendships rather than just being a friend with a thousand people. And I remember when we were younger, I always thought that one of your superpowers was being able to be friends with just 10,000 people. Like everyone knew you and liked you. <laughs> and I always thought that was that was cool. But you also had the superpower of, of true friendship. And so what you're telling me is that I had a bunch of shallow friendships and um you once thought that was good but now we know oh i read the bible and i realized it was bad yeah exactly (laughs) no i think i think that's right i think a lot of times when we think about friendship we are just looking at a number and thinking the more friends you have the better friendship or the better a friend you are and maybe that's encouraged by things like facebook or social media where you can see exactly how many friends you have and it cultivates shallow friendship instead of deep friendship, which seems to be antithetical to what this wise saying is talking about. Yeah, I think it's interesting you bring in social media, and I think we'll we'll back up and kind of build, but one anecdotal thought is that social media cultivates this experience where you can stay connected with people that you don't make any effort to actually connect with. And so even though probably people now have more relationship to people who are not in their lives because they see the pictures, they see the relationships mm-hmm. that 
they see the children as they're born. They see pictures. There, there's no actual friendship there. Whereas in the past, you either had friendship or you did not. You did not. There was no in between. And now there's a lot of in between. And I wonder mm-hmm. if that removes people's ability to stay deeply connected with those because they're not forced to to stay invested. Yeah, I think that's right. And it, I mean, even as we were talking last night, just rehashing some old times, and we were thinking of uh, some people. We're like, well, what what are they up to? And it was like, oh, I saw on the Facebook or something like right. that. But we haven't talked to those people in a very long time. So I think that bears itself out in friendship. But I, I want to start by talking about why friendship is hard. Mm. Um, why why has if it has been hard for you, um, but but maybe generally as we talk to other people, what why why are people saying making friends is hard? Yeah, I think the the biggest reason it's hard on a human level is because it's not ultimately in our control. Much like the rest of life, God's in control of our lives and the people who come into our lives and go out of our lives. And we're at the at the mercy of God's sovereignty and providence. And like most of the good things in our lives, we are called to lay down our lives for others. Mm-hmm. But there's no guarantee that we are actually going to reap any benefit from that. And I think that those who have special friendships, have deep friendships, have this overwhelming sense of, why me? Like, why am I? There's nothing about me that deserves this level of unconditionality from someone else. But that's because I think, in in part, the people who have these friendships have put themselves in a position where they embrace others and they're loving to others, even when it's not easy. And those people have returned that favor and love. And I think there's a whole lot of people who are in that position that are trying to love others unconditionally or trying to lay down their lives. And for whatever reason, God has not brought people into their lives that have returned the favor. Mm-hmm. They've done that and then been rejected. And I think that that is why it's hard, because you're not in control. Yeah. I think there are a few things to chase from that. And one is that I you can only really position yourself to be a good friend and to receive friendship and you can't manufacture it. Right. I mean, you can try to manufacture it, but usually those friendships don't work out. So I worked with this guy during summer camp at Northland one year, and early on in the summer, he told me, hey, we're going to be friends for life. And I thought that was great and very like a very godly and wise thing to do is just to identify the person who you're going to be friends for life with. And we kept in touch a little bit after that summer, but now he actually lives like 20 minutes away and we've seen each other once over the like six years that we've been in the same area. Right. And I think it just goes to show that you can't force these things, even if some of the conditions are right, like you end up living in the same area. Um, so that I think is probably one of the toughest things. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think it's tough because it's a balance. On the one hand, you you could say from that, well, God may not bring people into my lives. I don't have friends because God didn't bring them into my lives. That's it. And I think that we have to reject that notion and realize that we are called to be the kinds of people who do good to to the household of faith, Mm -hmm. who lay down our lives, who owe no man anything except for love. All of these different commandments that we are given by the Lord that we ought to be positioning ourselves. Um, And so there's never a reason or an excuse for, for not positioning ourselves toward friendship, posturing ourselves toward friendship, but that doesn't mean we can control whether we'll have close friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another reason it's tough to make friends, find friends, is the way that friendship is talked about at large in our culture and world 
and the way that people structure their lives to where I think um, there's such an emphasis on what your work and occupation is that that becomes your life. And so that automatically limits who you're positioning yourself to be friends with. Mm. Or there's this, maybe from another angle, the, the drive that we talked about just to have contacts with as many people as possible and they're not actually truly friends or whatever else. But but I wonder if the way that our world looks at friendship shapes and makes making friends more difficult. Yeah, dig into that a little bit. What Can you give me an example of like a vocation or a situation you've seen where someone has, has not positioned themselves correctly for friendship? Yeah, so I guess um, maybe maybe I'm not reading the, the world rightly or correctly, but I think if you trace TV shows, there's sort of like always been a modeling of how friendship should happen. And um, I think like in the show Friends, for yeah, instance. Yeah, I mean, I haven't watched that show, <laughs> so I don't, I don't know about that. But I'm thinking about like an older show, like Cheers or something like that, where the settings for friendship and what friendship looks like is shown in a particular way. And I think of the shows that were coming out as we were growing up, like The Office or other like workplace shows, where their, the whole lives of that person were centered there, mm. and they didn't really. None of those characters had friends somewhere else. And I think just about every show that's been a riff off of that or something places friendship within a certain community setting, and that becomes life. And more often than not, I think it's an occupation setting. And not that everyone is taking their cues for friendship from that, but I think as I talked with people, the majority of the people that are involved in their lives are just you know, employee, employers or coworkers, right. and, and that's what constitutes friendship. Yeah, it's a strong argument for why involvement in a local church is so important, at least on a friendship level, mm-hmm. is what you're pointing out. I think other people have identified as just the granular focus that has been created in a, in a culture where all of my interests can be tailored to me. Like if I'm interested in sports and outdoor activities, mm-hmm. then every person I know can be involved in those things. And all of my social activities, all my friends can just be online people who are interested in the same yeah. exact things that I am. And there's no shared social spaces like the bar and cheers or, yeah. <laughs> you know, the church where you're interacting with people who have nothing in common with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's those kinds of people who end up being better friends because they bring a level of unconditionality to the relationship. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that's one of the reasons at Resurrection Church, we want to keep emphasizing things like our church covenant and church membership and um, connecting with people to serve together. You know, I think friendships are built often during that as you both give of yourself for a greater cause or something like that. But um, on on that note, I think... Um, a smaller church, it's kind of challenging because there are obviously people who you connect with and people who you don't. And that's true at any church. But if it's a large church, like if you're at a church of a thousand people, you can have your friend group and no one is, you know, you're not marginalizing anybody because everybody's doing that. Right. I think at a small church, you have to work really hard to to kind of say, I'm, I'm going to be a friend to everybody, but then also recognize that you will have friendships that are closer with some than others. So I don't know, Shane, what your church situation is like, but I always talk about that here in terms of on Sunday, you come to talk to the people you didn't connect with during the week. Right. Um, and I think friendships arise out of that to where you are now connecting with those other people throughout the week as well. But how do you position yourself at your church to... Um, be a good friend, but also knowing that you're not going to connect with everyone in the same way. 
Yeah, I think it's there's a tension right at the heart of friendship where, on the one hand, you are connecting with people who have similar interests because that's just natural. You're going to gravitate to people who are in similar life situations and you have similar things to talk about. Um, but there's also a danger in connecting with people who have purely the same interests as you mm-hmm. because when those interests fade away, the relationship fades away. And so there's always needs to be some kind of uh, dialogue between the shared interests and listening to other people who, who help you cultivate new interests or you help them cultivate new interests, and it's that openness. Mm-hmm. So to answer the practical question, though, how do we position ourselves at our church to, to friendship? We could probably do it better, but at least the thought in my mind is we have our, our friends who we've just connected with who are very much a, a, a steady part of our lives. We are trying to live that you know mm-hmm. long obedience in the same direction together where it's just constant conversation and, and trying to get closer to them and, and talk about everything together. But then on Sunday mornings, it's more like I see a person I haven't seen before. And at our church, it's about 700 people or something like that. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty frequent. And I just try and make it a point that once every Sunday, I'm going to find a person I've never seen before and stick my hand out and be like, hey, I'm Shane. And yeah. have that awkward conversation. And those awkward conversations have led to deep friendships mm-hmm. um, already in the you know four or five years we've been there. Yeah. And I, I think both you and I, if we're, if we're leaning into the introverted versus extroverted personality types. I think both you and I tend toward the introverted, but we can put on the extroverted mm. when we need to. Is that, I mean, I, I think that kind of makes it hard for me because yeah. I think it, it's just challenging to put out the hand and say, hi, yeah. I'm Aaron. I think I actually tend to be extroverted. Oh. I tend to be energized by kind of the random uh, interactions with people. But what I would say is that I don't always, you know, I do feel super awkward. Okay. <laughs> Even as an extrovert, I it's not comfortable to stick my hand mm-hmm. out and try and connect with someone who may or may not have any interest in talking to me. Yeah. Yeah, I I think that's a, a challenge we have to work through, I guess, depending on our proclivities. And right. and maybe there are the extrovert types that are not nervous at all in that in the challenges to maybe narrow maybe, a little bit. Yeah, tone it down. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> to to rein it in Chill a little it out. bit. Yeah. Um so I think another cultural trend that makes friendship hard is, and I'm sure I read this somewhere, so I don't think this is my idea, but but I think the big emphasis on homosexuality and the praise of that makes it almost impossible to um, to emphasize same-sex friendship in a way that's not sexualized, mm-hmm. which is, I think, a a major shift in something that, you know, maybe hasn't been written about much because right, there's just, right. it's in development. But I, th- I think, um, well, whenever I hang out with a friend, you, you know, you or someone else, when we're in public, I, I can see people looking at us and, and I always wonder, are they evaluating us in terms of identifying us as a homosexual couple or something? Yeah. And that's not anything that, you know, growing up you would ever had to have worried about. You know, you, you might think about that if you were with a female friend somewhere, like are people like misunderstanding the nature of our relationship? Right. And I, I think that that push now makes it a little bit more challenging for men to grow in friendship individually or, or women perhaps as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is difficult. It, it points to the fact that where we gain wisdom in life is usually not the scripture. And, and I think that most of us are frequently having all these inputs into our life and, and forcing us to think about the big and important things in life um, in ways that are not scriptural. And mm-hmm. we don't realize it. 
you know, we have these television shows, social media, the news, like all of these different things are forming how we think about our daily existential realities like friendship in ways that are not processed by scripture. And so we don't know how to process the emotions and affections we have sometimes with the correct categories. Mm -hmm. And I think such an important part of real deep, true friendship is vulnerability, the ability to share things with people, the ability to connect emotionally. Mm -hmm. And those are things that if we don't have the correct biblical categories for, then we're going to miscategorize them. We're going to mislabel them and we're going to walk down roads that, you know, have been filtered through hundreds of years of, secular, psychological, non-Christian thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there are probably some correctives that are helpful here. One, of course, is reading the Bible. Right. Um, But I think on one level, those places where friendship is pictured, the the driving force isn't, here's an instruction manual on how to be good friends. But I think it's at least helpful to observe and then perhaps... Uh, reading bi- biographies of people long dead who weren't dealing with some of these same issues. So it, it helps us start to think a little bit differently. Yeah, definitely. And I, and I think especially reading older Christians and, and looking at the platonic friendships that they had and the ways that those were extremely life-giving for both their ministries um, and their their lives is, is instructive. And a lot of times modern interpreters are casting a lens back on those friendships and relationships that I want to reject and just say like, this is just a, a, a good life giving friendship. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, do you, do you think that, um, as a couple, it's sometimes challenging to have close friends with other couples as well as close friends individually and, and you doing whatever it need, you need to do to free your wife up to be able to have close friends. Like what's that dynamic like in, in your life and world? Yeah, this is good. It goes back to kind of my initial comment that is ultimately friendship is difficult because it's not in our control. Mm-hmm. And the people who are in our lives are not. It's not in our control whether they're going to get along with with myself and my wife. So there's two things that we've tried to do um, to cultivate these friendships. One, I've always made it a point um, from before my wife and I were married to try and bring my wife into the existing friendships I had with other guys mm-hmm. that were in my life. And I w- very intentionally would have times where we would hang out and I would have that I would ask questions of them for each other so that there was a conversation yeah. happening between my wife and this friend. And we have really good friendships with the single guys that are in my life, but that takes a lot of effort. And that has been really helpful, I think, for my wife just to feel like she's a part of this friendship because that dynamic brings something out of her personality and my personality and my friend's personality. Mm-hmm that wouldn't exist otherwise, but it takes effort. It's not organic and it takes me setting my, what I want aside yeah. so that they can have this friendship in these moments, in these conversations. It's really helpful. So that's, that's one piece of it. I think the second piece of it is all great friendship. You know, at its heart, there's a level of unconditionality. Mm-hmm. And especially when you're trying to cultivate these couple friendships at the beginning, one person in the couple is going to be more unconditional than yeah. the other. Like one of them is yeah. going to feel the chemistry more than the other. And the one who's not has to just go go farther in what yeah. they're willing to set aside. And I think that that mindset is really important, really helpful. But at the end of the day, some of those couple friendships are going to fall away and some of them are going to thrive. And that's that's not really in our control. Yeah. And uh, so I think two two things. One, you're you're being a friendship facilitator. That's right. Which is giving up of yourself and maybe the things you want to talk about or things you want to chase for for the good of the group, which I think is very 
Jesus-like thing to right. do. Um, but then I think it's also just good to know it's okay if some friendships don't like take root and become deep friends forever. It's not right. a failure or something like that. And, and in that way, I think you just keep keep going after it and see what sticks. I think friendship is maybe it's maybe more important to view your friendship like you view material goods than you realize sometimes. Okay. Whereas with material goods, everyone knows that it's healthy to have a loose hold on them. Yeah. So that like if my really nice vehicle it crashes, you know, and I don't have it anymore, then I can say, well, you know what? Naked I came into the world, naked <laughs> I go out. Yeah. I can't take it with yeah, me. Yeah, Carlos, you came into the world. That's Carlos, right. you'll you know return. I think that it's it's even more so important, and I think this is one of the biggest struggles people have with friendship, is to to have a loose hold with them. Mm-hmm. You just don't know when this couple friend that you have that you just have this awesome dynamic with, with both of you like really get along, like every like set. Like me and the guy get along, me and the girl get along, my wife yeah. and the guy get along. It's just In like, every tri- it's direction. the bingo, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but then they get a job all the way across the country. It's over. You know, you just never know when that's going to happen. Yeah. And so I think more than anything, being extremely thankful for friendships when you have them, going as hard as you can to lay down your life and to be a kind, mm-hmm. unconditional friend when you have it. But then when it goes, just letting it go. Thank God for the yeah. time you had. Like that is the healthiest emotional place you can be in a friendship and that is the hardest place to get. Yeah. And and people leaving doesn't mean the friendship is over right. either. I mean, you're you've been on a trip and you've reconnected with friends and, yeah. and that's great. So I want to talk a little bit about our friendship. Sure. Um in part because it's just nice to visit with you and and you know, <laughs> rehash old times, but I think it's also uh maybe helpful just to show how I think the Lord has allowed us to have a friendship and I think we should be thankful for that. Yeah. Um so so when did we meet, Shane? And yes. what were the circumstances of what became a friendship? Yeah, if I recall, I was in the fourth grade, um, and your family moved, I think, from the Dakotas to Watertown, Wisconsin. Correct. Um you were a year ahead of me in school at that time. And uh Yeah, and I'll I'm I'm Glad that you brought that up. Now I have to explain that I was not the best kid in high school <laughs> and had, um, you know, I wasn't a diligent student or anything like that. So I had two freshman years of high school, which then brought Shane and I into the same grade, yeah. mostly, you know, by Shane progressing upward in the grades and in, in me not. <laughs> yeah. So we met in school and happenstance. I, I do think that in wrestling practice, we were wrestling partners. Yeah. As I was the only sport you could participate in when you weren't in the fifth grade yet. And so we were both, I was in the fourth, you were in the fifth. And so we were wrestling partners. And yeah. I believe that is where we became friends <laughs> as nine and 10 year olds. Yeah. And then just over the years, we were always, we were always friends. And I think that probably our friendship more took off more as we got into high school. Mm-hmm. Um, and we started to connect more. I, we had similar interests and then, we were good friends all through high school. I mean, the best of friends through high school. And then in college, we managed to stay very close friends as well because we went to the same college. Um, and then... And did like the same major. We did the same major. We made both majored in English together. And then we worked at the same summer camp one summer. And we... Yeah, I, I it's hard to put the finger on any one thing except for that we were always kind of in each other's lives for all of those formative years when people are forming their closest friendships. Mm -hmm. So then I think you moved to Minneapolis um, 
shortly after college, and I did not. And that is when our friendship became more like long distance. But then even in that time, we continued to stay connected at a distance. We made an effort to have regular phone conversations. And what we've fallen into is the pattern of every other week, we have a phone conversation, and then we pray together um, Mm -hmm. every other week. And you're the only friend in my life who I regularly pray with. Um, But it's a very important part of just us sharing our lives with each other and continuing to encourage each other to be active prayers Mm -hmm. uh, and to think about things spiritually in light of, you know, the shared experiences we have and where we are at in life. Yeah. Yeah. I I was thinking back over the years, and I think we had a lot of things that we had in common, but I think we probably at various times had less in common than we had in common in terms of interests or things that we were pursuing and I think maybe it was just the natural thing of peer pressure where there were times where like I was going to be interested in some, like it wasn't so much like sacrificial self-giving. I'm going to like be interested in what Shane was. I, but I think maybe the peer pressure or whatever else, but I think over those years, you always had broader interests that you pulled me into that now I'm really thankful for. Um, and I don't know if that worked vice versa or not. But, Definitely. And um, I think it speaks to the give and take that I was talking about before. I think that, Looking back, I don't know if this was intentional for either of us, but our friendship had an element of unconditionality. There were times where you did things that were extremely frustrating to me. Um, Which is hard for me to believe still. Not really. I (laughs) fully believe that. And there were times where I was interested in things that you had no interest in. Mm -hmm. But for, for whatever reason, that didn't end the friendship. And after that happens, you know, time and time again, there, it gets to a point where that level of unconditionality is a bedrock on which everything mm-hmm. else in the friendship is built. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, there there was always a little bit of natural. This is very natural. And then there was always a little bit of, we have to work and pursue this. And wh- however that dynamic gets hit in any friendship, I don't know. Um, but I think it, it's there and you there's a merging of these things. So I'm thankful that we're continuing to keep in touch. We tried various things over the years. Uh, we tried doing the letter writing thing. Yep. That failed that pretty tough. miserably yep. for a lot of reasons. Just getting stamps is one <laughs> of them. Um, but then also it's like we could be in touch in any other way. So so the every other week phone calls, I've really appreciated it and they've been really, really encouraging for me. And I, th- I think that's one thing we can thank the Lord for is the technology that allows us. You know, if we lived like back when we were kids and we are, we're our age now, like we'd be paying for long distance calls. I don't know if you remember that, but like your phone would track how many minutes you used up oh, and wow. that kind of stuff. Well, we don't have to deal with that. That's really, that's really great. But I think um, <clears throat> looking at that theologically, you know, I'd, I'd like to, you know, think about why, how is this even possible? You know, we're, we're not like, Darwinians who just think, you know, humanity evolved in such a way that this kind of friendship is possible. Um, So looking at it through what we might call a gospel lens or something like that, why why is it that um, people who can have gotten really frustrated with each other at times can also be really good friends over a long period of time? Yeah, and I think it comes back to the main kind of metaphor that I, w- I think of in terms of the successful friendships, which at the time I didn't think this way. It, it's really looking back at it, it is the gospel in that mm-hmm. it's only through the gospel do, do the power of greater affections arise in mm-hmm. us that uh, give us the ability for, to have, have life. 
the reasons friendship crumble and die is because there are moments in every relationship, every human relationship, where people disappoint each other, where people fail each other, where being in the relationship is more pain than it is pleasure. Mm-hmm. And it's only through the gospel that people embrace pain so that they can get to friendship and kindness and goodness and the life-giving benefits of having years of friendship with another person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that the gospel actually gives us the great metaphor for friendship, that the only way to really cultivate these kinds of friendships is to be a person who is consciously and intentionally putting themselves in a position where they're dying to their immediate feelings about the, the hopelessness of mm-hmm. any given human interaction with the hope that later on it could lead to something life-giving. Yeah. Yeah, there was a guy named Mel. I don't know if you ever met him, but he was at Eden when I was there. And he came over one day and we were like having a meal or something. And he he prayed before the meal and said something like, uh, thank you for the friendship that we have because of the friendship that you've given us in Christ. And I, and that that stuck with me. And I often now pray that when I meet with friends, because I think it's a reality that the the kind of friendship that we can have is only possible because Jesus gave us friendship with with himself, with with God, as he reconciled us, and he showed us what it looks like to give up yourself for the other. Yeah. So um, what would you say to someone who is discouraged, feeling lonely, and um, in in that matrix wants to pursue friendship, but but just can't take the, the first step towards positioning themselves to to be a friend? Yeah, so I think the first thing is join a church, join the Resurrection Church if you live in the area. Um, put yourself in a position where you're not just attending on Sunday mornings, but you're serving, mm-hmm. so that you're walking side by side with people. It, that's really where the friendships are cultivated, When not when you're looking at each other across the coffee table trying to figure out, who is this person, and how do I position myself as someone who is really loving and unconditional? <laughs> but instead, you're the person who's like, oh, this is heavy, I'll pick that up, and you pick up the light thing. Mm-hmm. because I am giving for you. And it's in those contexts of serving side by side that friendships really come about. And so the first step would just be put yourself in a position pragmatically, practically, in a church community where you're rubbing shoulders with people who are different but have a similar goal to you. Mm-hmm. What would be the second thing? I think the second thing is then after you've done that and you realize that you have these kind of burgeoning relationships is don't give up. Continue to invest in people. Don't be convinced by the lies of social media and the pictures that you see that other people have all these flourishing relationships and you're the one who doesn't. Most people don't have friends. That's the sad reality. And we should not be convinced by these pictures of friendcations that we see on on social media that these people have anything deeper than a picture on on the internet if we are not committed to that kind of loving kindness on a regular basis, we will not yeah. cultivate relationships. It's not something that just happens. Yeah, I think, yeah, don't be discouraged by the social media highlights. We were talking about this the other day, and I think that I I can't remember the last time we posted a picture of us hanging out on social media, right. but I can think of times where I have pictures with people who I just don't really connect with on a regular basis, right. and I think that could be misleading to people. So now I, I rarely post pictures with, with friends because I, you know, I just think... Why? If these are friends, like, what's what's the point in doing this? I don't think it's wrong, of course, to f- post a picture with a friend, but I think it could be just misleading if if you're looking at everyone else's social media where they have these awesome friendships, when the reality might be they just 
happened to meet up with this person who happened to be in town and they actually never talk. And that's not indicative of a deep, meaningful, ongoing friendship. Yeah. I think that the mindset that everyone else has more friends than me Mm -hmm. is revealing because I think it shows that the person who has that mindset is thinking of friendship entirely in terms of benefit towards themselves. Yeah. And I think that's precisely the wrong mindset to be in to actually have friendships because people want someone who's giving to them, not the other way around. And so (laughs) it's counterproductive. Yeah. So, so I think that's instructive to start asking not what can these people do for me, but what can I do for them? You know, what, what am I giving up? What, what can I do to help this person become a better Christian or to thrive in whatever area they are? What, what about me? Can I leverage for the good of the other? And of course, we don't want to be like that pandering, like, um, I'm just trying to get people to like me, so therefore I'm doing things for them, but genuinely following after Jesus and and giving of ourselves for the other. Yeah, I think that's right. And I I think that it's difficult at each stage. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that there are various aspects of friendship that I I do better at than others. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we all just have to admit that at the end of the day, it's the Lord who, who brings friends into our lives and keeps them in our lives. And it's not us. And if it was up to us, then uh, we would be in trouble. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. So I would just encourage anyone at our church to keep pursuing relationships in our church. And we have this oper- awesome opportunity to get into a new building that requires a ton of work. And as one guy once said, um, Friendships forged in ministry are friendships that last. And however, you know, cliche that might be, I think it's really true. So Shane, thanks for coming on our church podcast and talking about friendship and and sharing in friendship for so many years. Thanks for having me. You can learn more about Resurrection Church at www.resurrectionmn.org.